This is the seventh Sunday of the Easter season. It's the last Sunday of the Easter season. Next Sunday will be Pentecost. And that's, all, that's really exciting on so many different levels. One on a very practical level is that we get to change from, red to, from white to red. You know, I'm tired of white already. <laughs> I wish that the early church guys, when they did all of this stuff, like did it by the month. Like one month you'd be white, one month you'd be red, one month you'd be green and purple. And I'd be an okay if they were thrown in maybe some orange and, pur and bl blues and stuff, you know. Because it gets, uh, especially in ordinary time when we wear the green for so long, you know, you get that towards the end, you're like so looking forward to changing out of the green and seeing a different color. So anyway, just practical stuff. <laughs> but it's great to have our visitors with us, of course. Uh, you so, you're so welcome here. And uh, our prayer is that you will not hear a great homily, but that you will have a very real experience with Christ himself through all this worship, the Word, and of course in the Eucharist as we partake of the body and blood of Christ. The, uh, this weekend we had what in our tradition called a clericus, which just means a bunch of people that are supposed to be clergy and supposed to be holy and righteous get together to remind ourselves that we're not really all that holy and righteous most of the time. That we're just like everybody else. We're just you know, people. But I was really encouraged at this clericus because uh, our bishop asked for people to give prophetic words of what they're seeing, what God's doing and everything. And all the prophetic words that were given, I thank Father, that they were all like so encouraging that, uh, of what God is fixing to do. And uh, prophetically speaking, I think that Pentecost is going to be a change. I think that uh, it's just like it was for the early disciples when you know they they was they were like one way, they were this bunch of uh, insecure, scared to death, not knowing what they were doing, and then Pentecost comes and then it, this just changed. All of a sudden they're bold, they're courageous, and they're brave, and they know the truth of Christ, the risen Christ, is is manifested in their very lives. And so I think prophetically that we're going to see that happen at this Pentecost is that there's going to be a changing of attitudes within the church. And that we're going to uh, not only, we're coming, of course, we're coming out of the pandemic, which that's a whole part of it. And I think that, uh, that that's, a, again, God sometimes manifests as in the natural what is happening in the spiritual. So I think that there's going to be this real change and that you're going to see more and more Christians speaking out, uh, the prophetic guys that are prophets and that stuff, they're going to be speaking these extremely positive words about what God is doing. At the same time, you're going to see in the world the extremely negative words being spoken. It's all negative and all. And that, I think, is the deception that our country has now fallen into is that in our political world, social world, just the world out there, that everything is really kind of a negative thing. There's not really no real positiveness about anything. And I mean, so many of them are not Christians, so that's somewhat understandable, but I mean, we live in a great country, you know? 
Oh, we live in, a, in, a, in the greatest country in the world that's ever been. And so this is the country that we live in. But we listen to our leaders in, in, our, in our country now, and they're telling us it's the worst country that's ever been in the world and stuff. And that's just not truth. It's just not truth. You, if you want to know the truth and, and uh, experience it for yourself, then travel. Go overseas. Go to Africa. Go to the, the South America. Go to other countries and see how, how it is there. You know? And it's like I heard one guy say, if we're such a horrible, horrible country, why is the world trying to come to this country? Why are people pouring over by the tens of thousands now illegally to just get into this horrible, desperate, racist country that hates everybody? Why is that? It's because those people see the truth and that this is a great place and has great opportunities. As Christians, we have to remind ourselves that we, live in a, we don't live in this world. You know? And that we may live in a great country, but we, we are of an even greater kingdom. And that's the kingdom of God. Uh, as I read more, uh, and it's a particular place where I'm at, and I uh, will give you that uh, disclaimer that my homilies are always going to be birthed out of me and what God is trying to get through to me and teach me. And what He's trying to teach me more and more is, is Him and it's not me. That everything is in Christ. And that I need to realize that and speak those words positively and to live in that kingdom and to make a choice, a daily, a minute by second choice of which kingdom that I choose to live in and which truth do I choose to believe in. And so I'm going to be share out of this passage in 1 John. Uh, 1 John is like, you know... Uh, as we've been in First John now for a while, and I've been reading the, the, uh, from the lectionary, First John has come more and more alive to me. And what a great book. And you consider what's being written in this book. It's being written by the disciple that Jesus loved. The disciple that at the Last Supper was laying right next to Jesus, and at one point, he laid his head on Jesus' chest, hearing the very heartbeat of God. And John identified himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And so when we read John, we, we need to keep that in mind, is that John was probably the most deeply, mystically, spiritual guy in the, that whole group. You know, we know we had Paul. He was not really a part of the group in that sense, but he he was, and that he was drawn. We have Paul that was the great theologian, the great. You know, he just his the you know all, basically most of our theology is either directly contributed to Paul, or Paul had, fleshes out the other the, the theology of the of Christ that we see in the new in the Gospels and from the other writers. And then we have Peter, of course, the great doer. The guy that just kept sticking his neck out there, making mistakes and bumbling along to be an example to us. But John was this guy that was the disciple 
that Jesus loved. See, John wanted us to, when John was saying that, he wasn't just saying that to be saying that. You know, now like we would. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I thought at one time, boy, if I could say that, you know, that'd be cool. Like, hey guys, I'm Father Ron Roberts, the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, pretty impressive stuff. Right? John didn't, I don't think John said it that way. Because when we read all John's writings, it's really about how much Jesus loves everybody. And I think John was constantly drawing people and saying to people in, the, in his gospel he wrote and in his writings was that Jesus loves you. You're the disciple that Jesus loved. Just like he loved me. And so he bore testimony of that which he knew, which was that Jesus loved him. And I'll... A couple of really quick things is that in verse 9, I'm really doing something that I don't do too often, but I find myself occasionally do it. I almost go in verse by verse in some of the, in the readings to just make a little quick comment. So in like verse 9, the thing that struck me as I read that, it says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. And the testimony of God is this, that He has testified concerning His Son. But that phrase, if we truly receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Mark that down. Write that on a piece of paper. And put that someplace where you'll see it very often. Because you're going to be hearing a testimony of man, I think, in the, in the future. You're hearing it right now today. And if, you know, if you've uh, uh, somewhat lost your mind and you watch the news, I've determined if you watch, I, that if I watch the news, I've lost my mind. Well, I'm going to lose it pretty quickly. Uh, just kidding with that. You haven't lost your mind. We should be aware of facts of what's going on to some degree. Me, it's getting to be less and less degree because of the, testo, the testimony of men is a lie. It's a lie. Realize that. It may sound good, and it may tickle your fancy, and it may match your personal philosophy in some way, but it is ultimately a lie. That there's a lie that's hitting in it somewhere. Because that's the way Satan deceives us. You know, the enemy doesn't come to deceive us and just tell us, like, you're crazy, Jesus didn't raise, wasn't raised from the dead whatsoever. Uh, he doesn't say it that way. He comes and shows little doubts. Like, can you really believe this? Can you, can you believe this? This is written by men. Can you really believe it? You've, you don't really believe that God wrote every single word in this book, do you? That it's the inherent word of God? How can you believe that? That's impossible. That's the lie. It's a little lie that gets us down in because... When you, I, I, as a younger Christian, I struggled with that somewhat. And I said, you know, well, yeah, I do believe that. So you believe that when it says far, that God wrote far. Not, you know, of course, when I was 27 years old, I was, that was like, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm out of this argument. I lost it right off the bat, you know. Uh, but God wrote the word. And to argue over did he write far or a, 
and everything is like an endless argument of deceit. He wrote what's in here as the truth. And so we have to realize that the things that we're going to be hearing out of the world, they're really based in lies and wind up with a real deception because you're going to find that they're going to be very negative in the coming days, more so. Read you a scripture from, um, from the, well, I'm going to read you two quick scriptures. Um, one is from 1 Corinthians 1.25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Remember that. When you hear this lie out there, whatever it is that comes, and it speaks of God, of the foolish, and they speak of the foolishness of what we believe as Christians, is that that foolishness is far wiser than anything that they have to offer to us. And we, and you know, here's the thing, guys: that as Westerners, we all want to be able to cross every T and dot every I. We want to be able to prove every single fact, every single word, and have a definition for every single thing. And you know, I'll, and I, I used to be that way. I'll confess that totally. I was totally that way. Uh, sometimes I fall back into that. Uh, but what I've learned is that what a boring form of Christianity that is. You know, God's a mystery. And in that mystery is a great adventure that he's invited us into. And that adventure, adventure, adventure is one of faith. An adventure of not knowing the next step. Not knowing what the outcome will look like. We know what the outcome is. We just don't know what it looks like. And we're called to be a part of that. So our Christian life is is like full of that adventure and should be full of that excitement of going for it. Not, not like reading the book and then watching the movie and going, well, the, well, the movie wasn't near as good as the book. <laughs> that would be Christianity if you could define Christianity in every single solitary way. God is indefinable. His ways are not our ways. They're so far beyond our ways. And we have to realize that sometimes we just cannot understand because we are, believe it or not, we're just not that smart. You know? And, you know, I, I have this personal thing about when we get to heaven and God opens our eyes and we see all the wisdom and the wonder and the majesty and the intellectual whatever of God that we're all just going to go, wow. You know, that there's not going to be any theologian or philosopher or commentator that's going to go, yeah, see, I had it right all the time. We're all going to go, oh man, we, we had it so wrong. Because we just didn't see beyond. We couldn't see beyond our intellect and our understanding of stuff to see that God's ways are just not our ways. And all. In James 3.17 it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all... See, I love this. You know, like James is another one of my favorite books. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all... Now remember that when you're listening to stuff out there. Whether it's coming from me, or a recognized prophet, or a 
political commentator or a politician or whoever, a teacher or college presidents or whoever is speaking, no matter who they are, remember what James says, that but the wisdom that comes from, a, 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 from heaven is first of all, first of all, this is how you can figure it out real quick. Okay, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Are you kidding me? I read that word, I'm going like, what? I, I struggle with that one. You know, it would seem to me that if, I'm, that if I've got wisdom from above, that I wouldn't, wouldn't be submitting to nothing except that wisdom from above. But see, that's not God's, that's not the heart of Christ. You know, he came as a lamb led to the slaughter. Considerate, submissive, full of mercy. See, that full of mercy kind of takes care of the submissive part, doesn't it? It's just full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So in looking around, if all the wisdom that's going to be spoken and all the words that are going to be spoken and stuff, do they, do they live up to this standard? This is the standard that you can apply. First of all, as James says. I'm not getting through First John very quick, am I? I'm kind of trying to watch the time. So in verse 10 says that the one who believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. That's kind of harsh, but it's truth. Is that it's all about what do you believe about Jesus, about his Son. And what God's testimony to, of His Son was. It's not what you believe about baptism. Okay? It's not what you believe about the Trinity. It's not what you believe about 90% of Christianity, really. It's about what do you believe about His Son. The rest of it kind of works itself out. You know, and seminary bishop used to say, there's only a few things that is worth dying for. To lay it, to put, draw the line in the sand with your brothers and sister, sisters, and be willing to either be killed or to kill over arguments of doctrine. Most things are just not worth that because it's all about Him. It's really about Him, you know. Verse eleven. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Isn't that beautiful? In that 11th verse, is, that 11th verse is kind of complicated, you know, to us. Because it tells us of God's goodness, but it also says, like, you know, like, if you don't believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter. So it's a hard thing. And to talk about that can be very difficult and very hard. But then John brings us back to this is the deal. This is the reality. This is what we live in. 
And that is that the testimony is this. Because you might have been asking yourself, what is really the testimony? You know? If you, uh, as a Christian many years ago, you always had testimonies. And they always wanted you to give a testimony. You know? And so many times we gave testimonies and all kinds of stuff, which is okay. But see, John said, this is the testimony. This is what the testimony really is. Is this your testimony? Is what John's trying to say. Is this your testimony? That God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. In verse 12, He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Those are beautiful verses and those are the verses that saved many people's lives at my hands and saved my life probably at the hands of many people when I realized that this is what it was all about. It wasn't whether you was a Calvinist or a Romanian, which uh, if you're not familiar with those phrases, if you believe that once you're saved, you just always say, no way you could lose your salvation. Or you believe that the least little thing you did, you're going to lose your salvation. And, you know, that's not it. That's not the argument at all. The argument with, that I can have with you is, do you have Jesus? That's it. And if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you, have, if you tell me you have eternal life, but you don't have Jesus, then I can talk to you and go like, no. Like, you have to have Jesus. And it's Jesus within, within you. You need Jesus in you. You don't need Jesus between your ears. Jesus doesn't exist between our ears. Amen. Have you ever noticed that? When you get Jesus between your ears, He messes you up. Because he can't, it doesn't, he can't fit there. He fits here. In our heart. So that's the testimony. That you have eternal life. You have it. Now, the thing about eternal life is that eternal life, because the, that word eternal is from like, from ever, ever back to ever, ever forward. It's not like from, they, from here to there. It's from there, through here, to there. It's, a, it's the life of Christ Himself that's eternal. We have that life in us if we have Christ. And we just need to let that life live. The struggle for the Christian life is not about a bunch of things. It's real simple. It's like letting Christ live. And the only way Jesus Christ can live is in you, is in other people. And so recognizing that in other people, we just celebrate that. You know, if they don't believe exactly like we believe about the far reaches of theology and doctrines and stuff, it doesn't matter. What matters is that they have Christ within them. And we can recognize that eternal life because it touches with us. And we can fellowship and love and support each other and believe for each other in the goodness of God. So if, uh, if you're like a web kind of person, the, uh, we actually rec <coughs> recorded the, the words that people were giving, what they were seeing that God was doing. Uh, you can go to CTK, Selma, 
somewhere along the line and find a bishop so confused me I don't know if it's dot org dot net dot whatever uh, but if you just go CTK Selma you can eventually find the website for Christ the King Church then they're, they're going to have those all posted and you can go listen to them they're just short words that people are giving as to what God is seeing and stuff and it uh, really resonated with me because it's, it's uh, been my experience here coming here uh, that uh, the, I, you know but my friends asked me well what, what's it like in Tuscaloosa how's it going and, I, and what I've tell them is I'm having the most fun that I've had in over 20 years. That I'm just having fun. It's fun. You guys are fun. You know, you may not think that, but you guys are really fun for me. And God is really fun to, to, to like be around. And so that's, I think, is what we're going to find. You know, that we can find it. <clears throat> that we can exist in the world and it's not going to be fun. You know. What's, I mean, there's just nothing fun in the world anymore. Nothing. There's absolutely nothing left in the world that is fun. But in Christ, in eternal life, in the kingdom of God, it's nothing but fun. Once we get our eyes open to it and quit, quit kind of having one eye in the kingdom of God and one eye off in the world, we just focus into who Christ is and then we rejoice and you know like it, it should like make make us jump up and down guys it should make us run in circles and, and shout and just go crazy to consider that Jesus Christ God himself is living inside of you it doesn't get no better than that that he lives inside of each one of us and he's just his desire is to just live his life, and there you know it's like the coolest life in the world that's ever been. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now this is where I'm always confused.